Hi, I'm Katie Marnie from the Emerging Markets um, Economic Research Group, and I'm joined by Nikolai Alexandru, my partner in crime in writing the EM Edge uh, weekly publication on frontier markets. So Nikolai, we've been writing about frontier markets on a weekly basis for this year, uh, or as we call it, the EM Edge, which is a set of 30 countries out, covered outside of the umbrella of our flagship GDW publication. It's really a diverse set uh, covering everywhere from you know, large petro states to small African countries and everywhere in between. Uh, so so JP Morgan has just come off a round of writing their year ahead outlooks. Uh, we also put out our outlook on the frontier markets. So what struck me while we were writing this is just in how we could in various aspects point to basically fundamentals improving. So we pointed to growth, we pointed to fiscal accounts, inflation, you know, central banks cutting rates. And so there are, you know, there are some high drama cases that we're watching, and I think we'll get into that, right? But it's like, it's been interesting because in general, the picture looks pretty good. And part of that has just been the external context. The external environment has been pretty benign this year or more benign than we were expecting or fearing. Official sector funding has supported these as countries as well. And looking into next year, it kind of feels like you know, depending, it'll it depend in part on the external scenario because overall the fundamentals in these places actually are generally improving. And and again, I think, you know, even just thinking about growth, which, you know, you looked at for the outlook, it's, it feels like things are generally, uh, generally improving. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I would say maybe things look uh, a little bit uh, too good, uh, definitely a bit better than uh, uh, what I expected. Uh, let's bear in mind that, um, there has been at least uh, a couple of difficult years, right? Uh, 2022 was definitely a difficult year for the frontier space. Uh, 2023 was uh, a year of improvement, uh, as you said, uh, Katie, uh, in the sense that fundamentals improved, not necessarily growth that improved because growth was weak, but fundamentals have improved. Um, in 2024, uh, what we have more broadly, it's an improvement uh, in growth with uh, continuous improvement in fundamentals. So it's quite uh, a benign picture, uh, but there are obviously risks associated with this picture because uh, we are in the frontier space and uh, in the frontier space, things can change really fast. Uh, and on top of that, obviously, it matters a lot um, how the global environment is. I mean, basically, uh, when we look at uh, JP Morgan forecast, we have a weaker external demand uh, into 2024, right? Euro area is more or less flat. Uh, growth in China and US is down. Um, so external factor is not really helping uh, frontiers. But despite that, in most of the countries, we have better growth. That better growth should be supported by, let's say, either recovery from some shocks that uh, were witnessed um, last year, uh, or uh, it's a story where domestic demand is kind of uh, rebounding and uh, that's kind of driving uh, better growth uh, prospects. One place where things are a little bit tighter than elsewhere, and this is uh, a place that we're probably going to uh, get back to it, it's um, uh, Africa, uh, because that's a place where um, monetary policy might have to stay tighter than elsewhere. Uh, fiscal consolidation has to continue. So that puts a bit more pressure on growth uh, than elsewhere. But even in Africa, uh, we broadly have uh, uh, growth uh, rebounding. Sufficient access to external funding 
to fund wide budget deficits uh, where possible. Uh, it's uh, a factor which kind of alleviates some of this uh, downside. Uh, but broadly speaking, uh, again, on the growth side, things look relatively good uh, in 2024 uh, on the assumption that U.S. economy is going to manage a soft landing. Yeah. I mean, what I found interesting and in, given the growth rebound when we were looking at the numbers was on the was that, you know, we we generally assume tighter fiscal policy for many of these EM country or these EM edge countries. Uh, I think in we, we counted basically two thirds of our of the countries um, in our set would be tightening fiscal balances this year. And that's happening against the backdrop of higher interest costs. Um, so obviously just higher funding costs uh, as, as global monetary policy um, has tightened, but also um, debt stocks are much higher uh, compared to the pre-pandemic years. And so, you know, given that fiscal balances are, are actually gonna be narrowing compared to last year and this year, um, it it tells us that policymakers are having to cut or having to reduce uh, their primary balances, so either cutting spending or raising revenues through through some sort of structural reform. And I think again, that's sort of that's a that's another sort of positive silver lining in this story. Uh, one support to growth uh, that that you mentioned is is also that you know the EMG will generally manage to close their external funding gaps this year. Uh, you know we we run this exercise you know, more or less quarterly. And again, for, for in our, when we did the rounds this time, we didn't have that many countries. I mean, uh, you know, in general, we're, we're, we assume that, uh, you know, we assume that of, of, for the vast majority of countries, we either, you know, they either have sufficient funding because, um, you know, they're sort of large oil exporters and that's just not a concern from them on the external side, or we have countries that go to that are leaning on official sector support. So the IMF, we have half of our countries have IMF programs um, or it's bilateral support from you know, the US or the EU, China, the GCC, which is step which, which will step up and basically fill these gaps. And again, this is an important backstop um, given, given where sort of the external environment could be. Uh, the widest of our gaps was in, was in Ecuador. Um, and that's that's one to watch more go, more so going into 2025, given large uh, debt maturities that are that are around the bend. Uh, the others were Georgia and Uzbekistan, which which also figure. Um, but otherwise, you know, as you said, the one that really stands out here is Africa, uh, where you know we have we had large larger gaps in places like Ghana um, and Kenya, which again are are under are under uh, uh, the, you know are under the microscope. Uh, so. You know, maybe they, they yeah, maybe we can get to that. IMF program. Sorry to interrupt, Katie. Yeah, right? yeah, uh, and exactly. It's kind of, that's yeah. that's uh, what helps a little bit. And I think uh, uh, the other aspect, which is probably worth mentioning, in the case of Kenya, uh, where we continue to have a negative uh, uh, funding external funding position, right? So it's a funding gap that they need to cover uh, yeah. because of the eurobond maturity. I mean, we were surprised by support from multilaterals. Yes, uh, we that's heard about what that happened. last week. Yes. Yeah. That's that's what happened in 2023, uh, and this is kind of I wouldn't say call it a risk, right? Because uh, it it would be a positive thing, but this might happen again in uh, in 2024, and this would kind of help a little bit um, in the case of Kenya. So, but like zooming out from Africa to, to you know for Africa in general, I mean, when we talk about Africa, we you know we often in our weekly 
single it out when it comes to, for example, monetary policy, inflation, um, you know, pressures on the FX. And, and we really, you know, we, that comes down to this, these, again, these funding gaps or these, um, again, negative basic balances for much of the region. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe you can, go, you know, talk to that um, as it's, you know, in your part of the world. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think uh, it's probably a region uh, where we need to emphasize uh, a bit more what's going on and uh, the way you started uh, to, to kind of uh, touch uh, about what's going on there, I think it's uh, the right way. Uh, in what sense? I mean, um, we have seen uh, persistent negative basic balances, right? Not really, really in each country, but it's uh, true for most of the Sub-Saharan Africa and uh, North Africa countries. So card account plus FDI basically in negative position. Uh, what this means is that uh, broadly speaking, the pressure on the currencies uh, in these uh, uh, countries is to weaken. And that's what we've seen. Uh, quite to a significant extent in 2023. This also explains why inflation in most of Africa has been significantly higher than inflation elsewhere, right? And obviously this has triggered monetary policy reactions. So domestic interest rates have increased. Uh, it's debatable whether it's enough or not. Uh, I mean, it varies from country to country, but I would say it's probably fair to say that looking forward, interest rates have to stay elevated, right? Uh, basic balances likely remain negative in most of the countries. Therefore, interest rates have to stay elevated. Uh, as you already mentioned, right, there is fiscal adjustment on the primary balance, but the interest uh, bill has increased. And in Africa's case, uh, the increase is even bigger. Um, and it's mainly driven by domestic uh, debt service. So it's a bit of a conundrum, you know, for uh, many of these countries, right, because they kind of need to keep uh, high interest rates domestically because of the external position that they have. But at the same time, this uh, puts downward pressure on growth and complicates even more the fiscal picture for all these countries, right? So they could be in a vicious circle, which they need to break. And I would say it's not an easy choice and definitely support from multilaterals is important for uh, countries in Africa. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, as you said, I think the the risk of the vicious cycle, I mean, again, we, you know, in general, our outlook was pretty optimistic, but in with in Africa's case, again, we're 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 really we're really separating the region out because there are these unanswered um questions or conundrums that uh you know uh really are putting policymakers in a bind. But I mean, you know, thinking about the monetary policy trend elsewhere, which is, again, which was the topic of our cover last week, you know, the, the trend is really back towards easing because we've had this, you know, this repricing in, in the Fed, in, in U.S. Treasury rates, and obviously the dollar receding. Uh, and, you know, nowhere has that been more, you know, evident, obviously, than, than in LATAM. But again, we, you know, we're, we're looking at potentially elsewhere um, spreading. I mean, thinking about Europe and Asia, um, you know, we we you know we 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 said that could broaden out, and and in that discussion again, you know, thinking about this contrast between Africa and the rest of the edge, it was really about infl the inflation trajectory and monetary um, and and the exchange rate um, stories in these in these places. Yeah, no, I I, I think that's that's right uh, in in the sense that uh, LATAM has benefited um, from. Stronger basic balances, right? Uh, generally, surplus in card account plus uh, FDI. 
Um, and that has uh, allowed currencies to appreciate, right? So LATAM actually deviates from that. I mean, it's not just that. I mean, LATAM also uh, had had uh, a longer period of uh, positive real rates. So that's uh, another factor which, which helped uh, countries um, in that part of the world. And this has put them in a better position on inflation and kind of they... It was easier for them, you know, for with uh, with positive real rates to shift uh, uh, in a dovish direction. Now that uh, we have had uh, some uh, decline in uh, global rates and uh, some dollar uh, weakening, uh, we can see a similar trend in parts of Europe edge because that's another place where uh, real rates are elevated. Uh, and I'm thinking like countries like uh, Kazakhstan, which also cut uh, more than uh, what we expected, and they have space to cut uh, next year. Um, and there could be a similar uh, direction maybe in Ukraine, which uh, also has some space. But I mean, the risks are a lot bigger there. So it's uh, not easy to kind of uh, say with confidence uh, the, what's the direction of travel. Um, and policymakers prefer to be prudent for now. And another place where policymakers prefer to be prudent is Uzbekistan. Uh, but clearly, they could move in a more dovish direction too. In Asia, uh, we had um, a larger surprise, um, uh, a larger cut uh, as a surprise in Sri Lanka. Uh, they signaled no plans to to continue with rate cuts near term, as they want to to uh, see the transmission of the prior cuts. But clearly, uh, they have space given where inflation is. And another country which could shift dovish, not necessarily having the space, but could shift dovish is. Um, uh, Pakistan uh, mm. in in Asia space and and since we're talking actually about uh, about Asia I think it's worth mentioning as we spoke about um, let's say some weaknesses in in Africa that there could be some weaknesses uh, in Asia too precisely in these two countries Pakistan and uh, Sri Lanka where where the domestic um, interest bill it's also quite large uh, mm. and at least Pakistan has had similar problems. Um, so the, the tension remains relatively high, um, at least in Pakistan and Asia. Yeah. So we, we you know, we can't come, to, we can't close our, our discussion about the outlook for next year without obviously talking about elections and some, you know, the, the implications of elections, um, because it is a busy one for us. I mean, we do have a good number of elections. Uh, for the most part, I think, you know, we, we, we came, we were, we're looking for continuity and policy. So, you know, there are elections, but we're not expecting big changes. Uh, in my part of the world, in, in you know the Western Hemisphere, uh, there are several in in the in Central America. So we have Domrep, um, uh, where we're again we're thinking continuity. Uh, in El Salvador, again we're we're expecting um, President Bukele to be to be reelected. But again, you know there it'll be interesting to see what happens on the fiscal side, uh, given indications that they could pursue an IMF program after the election. Uh, also in, in Panama, uh, surprisingly, which, you know, has been a solid IG story uh, for many years, um, has come under more pressure and there's been more, um, you know, there's been more, more tension around the Cobra, Cobra de Panama um, uh, mine. Uh, and so, you know, now, you know, our economist 
are 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 signaling that with you know they they could be at risk of losing investment grade. Uh, so again, I think that those are those are some in some my part of the world. Uh, obviously, again, you know one one story that's been on the move recently is Venezuela, uh, where you know there there is you know hope that they hold uh, presidential elections in the second half of 2024, um, and and you know the you know the the preparations for that and following the electoral roadmap uh, established, um, you know between the Maduro authorities and. Um, and the opposition will be an important litmus test for the for the sanctions relief there, the oil sanctions relief, and also markets relief. Um, but again, I think you know we still have a lot of twists in that tail before we get to before we even get to kind of defining a date for that election. Uh, you know, elsewhere in the world, again, I think maybe maybe we I can turn to you and you can touch on some of the 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 the, the, the stories to watch uh, in your part of the world. Um, uh, be it, you know, Egypt or Pakistan, Ghana, and potentially Ukraine as well. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, there's uh, a lot of stuff. I mean, uh, in, in my part of the world, uh, uh, you know, given that we have uh, more than 4 billion people voting globally. Um, let me start with uh, Egypt, uh, because that's kind of um, awaited by many in the market. Um uh, we don't see uh, any change in policy direction uh, after the elections. Very likely, uh, leadership is going to be reconfirmed. Uh, elections are seen as uh, uh, a strong reason for Egypt to re-engage with the IMF uh, and uh, probably also to do that in the context of um, exchange rate flexibility, which is uh, something uh, which has been discussed a lot in the past and it seems to be uh, very important uh, for the IMF. So uh, in Egypt's case, elections should uh, improve the situation as it is now uh, and should be a positive for, uh, for markets. Uh, in Ghana's case, um, it's not clear what's going to happen. Uh, but even if we have a change in the administration, and I think you mentioned, Katie, uh, it's very likely that uh, uh, they will stick to the IMF program. Uh, there is a restructuring underway. It's not like Ghana has many options uh, here. Um, so should offer uh, some comfort uh, to markets um, uh, as well, given that uh, IMF will remain on board. Uh, it's a bit trickier uh, about uh, Pakistan. Uh, why? Because um, the outcome there, it's less clear. Um, so it's also a bit harder to say uh, what policies we're going to see uh, post-February elections. I mean, the SBA program expires um, uh, soon after um, elections, and it will depend uh, on the new government to decide uh, on engagement with the IMF and uh, policies. But very likely, um, I would say, Pakistan will continue with the IMF because also, like I said, it's a, a complicated case uh, and it would be hard to manage uh, the situation without support from uh, multilaterals, which is going to kind of uh, bring support from um, uh, others uh, like uh, GCC, uh, potentially China uh, on board uh, too. Uh, finally, just a few words about Ukraine, uh, which is... Um, at war, uh, quite intense war uh, with Russia. Uh, they should have presidential elections, but um, it's unlikely that those will materialize uh, because of the war. Uh, the security risk is very high. Uh, President Zelensky enjoys strong support, but organizing election in the context of a war 
uh, would just be uh, way too risky. So because of that, uh, elections uh, are unlikely. So that's all from my side when it comes to elections. Back to you, Katie. All right. No, I mean, I think, again, I think, you know, looking big picture of, of the outlook for next year for, for our edge economies, again, it looks, sounds like, you know, more or less they're going to manage, um, more or less that the, the story is, again, of sort of improving fundamentals of, you know, monetary easing, uh, funding gaps close with, again, with which large artificial sector support. And so, it, you know, again, it like this year, in some ways, it really comes down to what happens on the external scenario, be it with oil prices, um, you know, U.S. rates. But again, I think in the outlook, what really what really struck me is that, you know, frontiers, you know, given that frontiers could actually have a pretty good year if the U.S. pulls pulls off a soft landing. Uh, and, and at the same time, there are some safeguards if there if we are in for a harder landing yeah, with with the caveat that these would be kind of the most vulnerable in that scenario um, among the EM, yeah, EM countries. Maybe, maybe just to add uh, like a brief comment here, uh, like uh, hearing you talk, I, I remember we made a point in um, uh, in our year ahead, uh, right, that it's probably worse for um, our age space, the frontier economies, at least if we have a U.S. recession rather than higher rates, because kind of there's more, uh, there's an increased expectation in the market that we're going to have higher rates rather than U.S. recession. At least that's uh, how things yeah. are looking. Yeah. Uh, while this sort of a situation wouldn't necessarily be very bad for frontier markets. Why? Because they already don't depend much on external funding, right? Right, right. That's, exactly. that's kind of the... Yeah. So the but the US recession would bring complications on external funding on top of uh, uh, an external demand shock, which would be, would be quite pronounced and it would be definitely uh, significantly more negative for growth outlook in this country. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I guess the last point was just to say that, you know, we we really uh, we highlighted several again positive positive catalysts and positive stories in our space. Uh, you know, we we highlighted you know some of the cat countries or Central American countries and and LATAM more broadly, you know, Eastern Europe. Uh, but at the same time, obviously, we pointed out some of the higher stakes stories such as Egypt and Pakistan, you know, Ukraine, Venezuela, um, and and those. Uh, so, you know, it's going to be an interesting year. But again, I think um, again with this sort of dichotomy between kind of the the masses in in the frontier space versus some of these other high profile stories will will sort of continue. I think that, I think we can end it there, Nikolai. Thank you for the time. Thanks everyone for uh, listening with us. Well, thank you everyone for joining us for another episode of the Global Data Pod uh, on the Edge. Uh, we'll we hope to hear, have you back again for our next episode. This communication is provided for informational purposes only. Please read J.P. Morgan Research Reports related to its contents for more information, including important disclosures. Copyright 2023, J.P. Morgan Chase, all rights reserved.